Well, church, uh, today uh, we are continuing our study uh, through the book of Romans. And this morning we are building up to the climax of an argument uh, that Paul has been making over the past couple of weeks in Romans chapter 6 and 7 about how we as Christians are to interact with the law of God. In chapters 1 through 5 of his letter, Paul has described the great salvation that God has provided for us by giving to us a righteousness that is totally apart from the law. So that our right standing with God is not based upon what we do for him, but upon what Jesus has done for us. It's not about our works, but it's about his works. It's not because we were able to follow God's law, but because Jesus has perfectly done it for us. And so our righteousness is apart from the law. And because it is apart from the law, Paul has reminded the church that we are no longer under the law, but that we're under grace. He said that we've been set free from the law so that we can serve Christ. He's even gone so far as to say that we have died to the law and that it has no power over us anymore. And as a result of all of that, in the past couple of chapters, Paul has been trying to explain, well, what then is the purpose of the law? If it doesn't save us, then what is it for? What is its purpose? How do we engage it? And what he eventually shows us in our passage this morning is that the ultimate purpose of the law is to produce a proclamation in the human heart. What does that mean? If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, as we consider what is the purpose of the law and what proclamation does it produce in the life of a believer. So first, but what is the purpose of the law? If the law doesn't save us, then what is it actually for? What is its purpose in our lives? Paul shows us uh, the law's purpose in this passage by looking at the law in two different ways. First, by looking at what the law can do, what its purpose is. And then by looking at what the law can't do, what its purpose is not. And both are really important. So we're going to consider each of them briefly together. Okay, first, Paul shows us what the law can do or what its purpose is. In verse 7 through 11, Paul explains to us four things that the law can and does do in our lives. The first is found in verse 7, where Paul writes that if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So first, the first thing that the law does in our lives is that it defines sin for us. It tells us what sin is. And this is necessary because until the law defines something as wrong, we would have no way to know that it is wrong. Right. So in a sense, the law defines the rules of the game for us. Right. It shows us what we can do and what we can't do, what we should do and what we shouldn't do, what is good for us and what is bad for us, what will help us. And what will harm us? The law outlines these things for us. So it defines what sin is. The second thing that the law does is that it reveals sin in us. So it doesn't only tell us 
what is right from wrong, but it actually shows us, reveals to us, makes us aware of the wrong inside of us. We see that in the second half of verse 7, where Paul goes on to say that I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Paul's saying that he he wouldn't have known uh, that he was coveting or that there was anything wrong with coveting until the law said not to do it. But once confronted with the law, he can identify that forbidden covetous desire inside of himself. So it's not that the law put covetousness into Paul. It just showed him that it is there. The law allowed him to see things inside of himself that otherwise he could not see. So in this way, the law is like a a diagnostic microscope, right? This past week, I I had my first ever colonoscopy. Okay, I have come of age. (laughs) And in that colonoscopy, there is a camera that searches for illness inside of the body. It reveals and it makes known to us what is not healthy inside of us. It goes inside and it points the sickness out. The law does the same thing. It shows us what is inside of us that is problematic and harmful to our health. So the law defines sin and the law reveals sin. The third thing that Paul says that the law can do is that it actually provokes sin in our lives. We see this in verse 8 where Paul writes that sin seized an opportunity through the commandment and produced in me all kinds of covetousness. So not only does the law tell us what sin is and show us where sin is in our lives, but Paul is saying that it actually provokes that sin within us, stoking it like a fire. The law causes our sin to fan into flame. And we all know this experience with the law, don't we? A parent tells a child not to touch something, and all of a sudden, what is the only thing that that child wants to do? Touch. Touch it. Touch what they've been told not to touch, right? Or you tell someone not to look at something, and all of a sudden, all that they want to do is to sneak a peek at that which is prohibited. So so when the law gives us a prohibition, a part of what the law does is provoke in us a desire to think about and to focus on and ultimately to do what we've been told not to do. This temptation is as old as humanity. I mean, think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They were given every tree in all of creation for food to eat, except for one. They had absolutely no need for any more fruit at all for the rest of their lives. And yet as soon as they were instructed not to eat that forbidden fruit from that one particular tree, it's all that they wanted. From that point on, it looked different. It looked better. It became more desirable than all of the other fruit. Sin used the law to provoke their desire. So the law defines sin, and the law reveals sin, and it even provokes sin. And then finally, Paul says it condemns sin. 
We see that in verses 9 through 11 where Paul writes that I once was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, when the law came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. So in defining and revealing and provoking sin, the law then also condemns it. It declares sin wrong and it declares us guilty. Now this eventually leads some to ask in verse 13, did that which is good then bring death, right? Is the law to blame for our death, they're asking. To which Paul says, no, the law is good. It's sin in us that is bad. So in the same way that if a, if a criminal commits a crime and then is arrested and brought to trial and convicted and sentenced all because of the law, he can't blame the law for his situation, right? Instead, it was because of the criminal's actions. It was because of his crime that the law charged and convicted and condemned him. And so it is with sin. Just because the law defines sin and reveals sin and even provokes sin before condemning sin, you can't blame the law for that. Sin is still to blame. The law just plays the role in identifying and addressing and condemning the sin that is already present. So so all of that is what the law can do, right? That is part of the purpose of the law. It's part of its function in our lives. It was given to us to define sin, to reveal sin, to provoke sin, and to condemn sin. And that's a lot. But there's one significant thing that the law cannot do, which is really important for our understanding of the law's ultimate purpose in our lives. And what the law can't do is found, embedded at least, in verses 15 through 23 where Paul pins perhaps the most relatable passage of Scripture that exists in the entire Bible when he writes, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And then a little later he says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And then he summarizes that whole section at the end by saying, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And at the end, what Paul is demonstrating to us and what he has implicitly stated in his summary is that despite all of the things that the law can do, there is one significant thing that it can't It can't get rid of our sin. The law can define our sin. It can reveal our sin. It can provoke our sin. It can condemn our sin. But it cannot remove our sin. Paul's saying here, I want to do what is right. 
I want to do what is good. I want to follow God's laws. But I can't. I can't do it. Can anybody here relate with Paul on that? You want to do what is right. You want to do good. You want to follow all of God's laws, but you can't. There's a lot of theological debate about who Paul is talking about in this passage. Is it Paul before he was a Christian? Is it Paul after he was a Christian? Is it, is it uh, Israel? Is it about Israel in general? Is it about Adam as a representative of all humanity? And, and there are brilliant people on all sides of that debate. And there are statements within this passage that make each of the proposed views a bit problematic. But in the end, personally, none of that really matters to me about who Paul has in mind here. Because I know that at a minimum, he's describing me. And he's describing my experience with the laws of God. And I imagine that he's describing you and describing your experiences with the laws of God as well. Because despite the fact that the law of God teaches us right from wrong, and despite the fact that the law of God shows us where we are wrong, and despite the fact that the law of God judges that wrongdoing in us, it can't eliminate the sin in our lives. Despite our best intentions and our most faithful efforts, evil always remains close at hand. Sin still dwells in our members. The law can't do anything about that. It cannot remove our sins. And this actually becomes an incredibly important aspect in God's overall purpose for the law. Because when we take a step back and put all of this together, what we see is that the law of God in every way identifies our problems, but in no way addresses our problems. It tells us what is wrong and it shows us where we are wrong and it condemns that wrong, but it doesn't fix the wrong within us. It shows us our problem, but it doesn't fix for us our problem. And I believe that there is a very intentional reason for that, which we see in the verses that follow. Because in verse 24 and 25, we hear Paul's visceral and desperate response to his ongoing wrestling with sin, which the law has revealed and condemned but not fixed. And in response to that desperation, Paul cries out, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in these two cries, we can clearly see the purpose of God's law for our lives. So let's look at each of them briefly. First, Paul cries out, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? This is the honest and desperate cry of discouragement that is produced when we're confronted with our own failures and our own inability to be the people that we desire to be. When we encounter God's law properly, and when we look at our own lives honestly, this is the only conclusion to which we can come. That we are wretched. 
Now, this flies in the face of all modern sensibilities about humanity, about how we are basically good. Even from within the church, this is not believed much anymore. This week in Christianity Today, there was an article about the top five heresies that are believed among American evangelicals, and this was one of them. Nearly 60% of professing evangelical Christians in America believe that people are basically good. But guess what? Paul didn't believe that. The law of God doesn't declare that. The scriptures as a whole don't affirm that. And if we're honest with ourselves, our own consciences know that this isn't true as well. In fact, they all say the opposite. That the law reveals just how messed up and just how desperate our situation really is. It shows just how sinful and just how unworthy we really are. And the reason that this is important to understand and to accept is because if we're not aware of how wretched we really are, and if we won't acknowledge how wretched we really are, then we'll never look beyond ourselves for the help that we so desperately need. And we'll miss the glory of the gospel that offers to us a righteousness apart from ourselves. And this is where Paul turns next. After acknowledging his sinfulness and recognizing his need for help beyond himself, Paul turns his eyes towards the Lord. Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul is saying here is that what he was unable to do in himself, God is able to do for him and through him in Jesus. The righteousness that Paul desired to experience, but he couldn't obtain on his own, God, through Christ, has given to him. The good that he wanted to do, the laws that he wanted to follow, the life that he wanted to live, the man that he wanted to be, what he could not accomplish on his own, God, in Christ, has accomplished for him and will accomplish in him. And church, this brings us to the ultimate purpose of the law. For the purpose of the law is to point us to our Lord. The purpose of the law is to point us to our Lord. But that's ultimately why the law exists. That is ultimately why the law was given. To make us aware of our need. And to point us beyond ourselves to the only one who can meet that need. The purpose of the law is to point us to the Lord. It was never intended to save us. But it was always intended to point us to our Savior. And that is why, even as Christians, who are not under the law, who've been set free from the law, and who have even died to the law, that's why we can still cherish the law. Because it always points us to our Savior and causes us to flee to Him. The purpose of the law is to point us to our Lord. And that is always right and that is always good. And it is always important for us to remember. We have to remember the purpose for which the law was given. Because if we don't, then we'll either neglect it or we'll misuse it to our detriment and harm. Here's what I mean by that. 
Some people don't acknowledge God's purposes in the law. And they think that, that people are good and, 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 and that so, so anything that condemns us or brings us feelings of guilt to us or, or for who we are or for what we choose to do, that that is what is wrong in the world, right? It's not what we do that is wrong, but it is what condemns what we do that is wrong. So they reject the law of God. Anything that, that condemns, anything that speaks against We reject that. They want to get rid of any rules and regulations that tell us we're doing something wrong. And let everybody be who they want to be and do what they want to do without any kind of judgment or correction. That's the non-religious person's response to God's law. They reject the law and God's purposes for the law in their lives and they go it on their own. The problem with this response to God's law, though, is that it's simply not based in reality. Just because you don't like a law doesn't mean that it's not true. You may not like the law of gravity, but that doesn't mean that gravity doesn't exist. All you have to do is jump out of an airplane and you'll find out very quickly just how real the law of gravity is. And you'll wish you had a parachute with you when you did. So if you find yourself bucking against God's law, Resenting God's law, rejecting God's law, redefining God's law. Be very wary. Because it has been given for a very important purpose that we all need to pay attention to. That's the non-religious response to the law. There's another response to the law that doesn't neglect the law, but but misunderstands it and, and misuses it. That's the religious response. This person believes that the law is given to us to justify us. And so they love the law and they believe the law is good, but they've enslaved themselves to the law as a means of justifying themselves. The problem for this person comes when they fall short and transgress the laws of God, which at some point we all do. At this point, the religious person is devastated. Because they can agree with Paul's cry, wretched man that I am, but they have nowhere to turn in order to save themselves except back to their own efforts at the law. To try harder to be better, to make up for their sin through their obedience. But of course that's an impossible path. Because as we've been reminded throughout the book of Romans thus far, by works of the law, no man will be justified before God. We cannot be good enough. And so in the end, this view of the law will only crush them because it's a weight that they can't bear and it's a standard that they cannot measure up to. So if you ever find yourself being filled with pride about how good you are, or if you ever find yourself demoralized and devastated because of how bad you are, be careful. Because it may be that you're misusing the law for a purpose for which it was never intended. And that will crush your spirit. But for the Christian, there's a different response altogether. Knowing that the law is good, but that it is given not to save us, but to point us to our Savior. We can be a people who join our voices with the psalmist from our Old Testament reading this morning and declare that the law of the Lord is perfect. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The rules of the Lord are true. And we can be thankful for Jesus, who, as we heard in our gospel reading, came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it on our behalf. 
And then, knowing the goodness of God's law and the grace found from God's law, we can embrace God's law in our lives as a means of grace and allow it to do what it was always intended and created to do. To bring the wretchedness of our lives to the righteousness of Christ in order that he might save us and sanctify us. Church, will you respond like this? Will we respond to God's laws like Christians who understand and who appreciate its purpose for our lives to point us to our Lord? I pray that we will for God's glory and for our good. Amen.